that when we, the saints come together and we worship, it's, it does so much more than just the singing and the releasing of good hormones. There's something spiritual that happens. There's a connection that happens. There's a joy that happens. And God is so good in that. He's given us voices that we can sing and music that we can enjoy. And his presence that comes and fills us in that time. Okay, so um, we've been in the preaching series for the past uh, four weeks. Um, well, this is the fourth week. It's called A Man After God's Own Heart. And it's the life of David. And we're learning lessons from the life of David for our own lives in 2023 and beyond. David, the kind of man David was, one of the greatest men in the Bible, written to ourselves to understand his triumphs and his failures. Well, one thing I do enjoy about the Bible, it's not about perfection. It's about reality, you know? David went through peaks and he went through troughs as well. David's life in the Bible warts and all. All of his shortcomings are bared on the pages in front of us for us to see and for us to grow by. But it's one of something so beautiful about the Bible is that a lot of it shadows Christ. A lot of it shows us a, a facet, an angle of Jesus Christ. And David is just that. His life is a shadow of Jesus Christ. So where do we join the story? We join the story, Mark preached last week, about um, David running from Saul. Saul um, got an evil spirit, which caused him distress and made him want to murder David. He wanted to end his life. It's a picture from Superbook. My kids love this. Um, it's a really good series. It really helps you understand things biblically. And you can see the anger in this man's face. I can imagine it was much more worse in person. But this is where we left the story off. David is now running from Saul's presence because now he knows Saul wants to end his life. He wants to get rid of him completely. So let's read the first part of the scripture for us to understand Saul, um, David leaving Saul's presence or fleeing, running from Saul's presence to the next part of this series. In 1 Samuel 21 verses 1 to 2. Then David came to Nob, to Ahimelech, the priest. And Ahimelech came to meet David, trembling, and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech, the priest, The king has charged me after a matter and said to me, Let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I have charged you. I have made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Now, as you can see in the top right-hand corner of the screen, um, there's a title that says Decline of Holiness. And we're going to start to see David go through those parts. We said the warts and all, a very wart-like moment. We see David begin a slow decline away from the relationship he had with God. And some of you may be familiar with some parts of the stories of what David did with Goliath, what David did with the lion and the bear in the field, what David did with the sheep, what David did, and so forth. So he's now on a decline of his relationship with God, of his connection, his closeness with God. Look at the line he says. Can we go back, please? Look at the line he says. The king has charged me with a matter and said to me. But you and I both know the king did not charge him with a matter. Matter of fact, the king wanted to kill him, to murder him. Saul was jealous of David's popularity 
Can we remember when he came back from war and the, the women were singing, David, I mean, Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed his tens of thousands. So Saul did not send David on an errand. So we're looking here at the story of a man after God's own heart. Clearly, he's quite far from it because he's now lying to the chief priest, Ahimelech. Willingly lying to the chief priest, Ahimelech. David was after something, and David didn't want to depend upon God. He wanted to manipulate the circumstance. That's what lying does, doesn't it? It manipulates the circumstance to our favor. Perhaps, my friends, this is a reflection on his relationship with God at this time. It's an indication that something's off if he so willingly would lie to the chief priest, let alone the priest, the chief priest of the nation at that time. Now we're going to move on to further build the basis of understanding of the kind of life that David was living at that time. So we now move on to 1 Samuel 21, 3 to 5. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread and whatever is here. And the priest answered, David, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. If the young men have kept themselves from women, and David answered the priest, Truly, women have been kept from us, as always, when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy, even when it is an ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? Look what David said. Truly, that's a statement of truth. Truly, women have been kept from us, as always, when I go on an expedition. You can see here David is using his past influence to get what he wants. He's saying to Himelech, you remember when we will come to you and seek what the Lord is saying on those expeditions where I would slay thousands of Philistines? You remember me? I'm David. Now give me the bread. Give me what I want so I can move on. He isn't trusting God anymore, but he's depending on his past victories. He's trying to get Ahimelech to give him what he wants and not depend upon God to guide him and provide for him. David is slipping in his relationship with God. Friends, when our relationship with God slips, the first thing, the first indicator is holiness. It always decreases. Holiness is our conduct, the way we live before God, following his commandments and listening to what he has said for us to do with our lives. The standard of living, it always decreases. And now we can see very simply David lying to the chief priest. He's no longer seeking after God's will, but manipulating a circumstance so he can get what he wants. He's going after his desires. David was more concerned with pleasing the chief priest's heirs so he could get what he wants more than pleasing the heirs and heart of the father. Right now, David does not seem to be a man after God's own heart, but a man after his own heart. He began to fear man rather than fear God. Look what he says. How much more today will their vessels be holy? David had an understanding about the standard and level of holiness. He knew. But he wasn't living holy. It was an outward persuasion and not an inward truth. And how much more clearly did he know the type of holiness that he should be living. This is not David's first venture. It's not his first expedition. He knows the standard. 
David wasn't living the reality of holiness at that moment. His heart was hard. His heart was far from God. He wanted to please man rather than please God. To have an understanding of holiness, it means to be set apart. I've got a story to tell you about my mum. She's a, she's a Caribbean woman. And it's a very strange practice that Caribbean women have in a home. So they, they normally get married and they get these like knives, forks, and glasses, these, these, these little um, wine-looking glasses, and they'll be etched into them, this kind of crystal design. And then she'll have a cabinet in the house, about this high, windowed fronts, and she'll place these glasses inside of there. My, my nan had it, my granddad had it as well. And we were not allowed to use these glasses. We could not touch these glasses, let alone even look at them. So don't even go near it. I think for the whole time that we was with my mom, she never let us use those glasses. However, when the special friends, I don't know who they were, but the special friends came over, <laughs> she would take out these glasses, pour some juice, whatever in it, and they would sip and enjoy it while we all looked on with envious eyes of like, how do you get to use it and not us? <laughs> These glasses were set apart. They were not for the children in the home to use. They were for a certain time. And that really helped me understand the picture of holiness. We are set apart from the world. We are in, but not of the world. It was very important for us to understand holiness means set apart. Because sometimes holiness can give us this kind of, oh, that's a scary word. It's not. It just means set apart. We're not, we're not involved in the dirtiness of the world. We are set apart for God's special use. So holiness is about the inward, not merely the outward. Not about necessarily how we dress, but how the heart dresses itself before God. Our posture before God in our hearts. Because if our inward is changed, the outward, by default, will change as well. Think about when Samuel was choosing the king. And Jesse brought out all of his sons, as we heard in the story Mark preached some time ago. He was like, it must be this one. And God says, no, do not look at the outward appearance, for I look at the heart, what's going on inside. And for each one of us here today, he looks at our heart. That's the beauty of relationship with Jesus. He is understanding each one of our hearts. Theologians refer to holiness as daily practice of living for God to become more holy as progressive sanctification. Yeah, we're saved. We're in the household of God. Our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Amen. But there is a progressive sanctification that begins after that with us living holy, our conduct and what we do. As we seek to follow God's will each day, we can increasingly become holy and to become more like Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the Holy One, isn't he? This is the Holy One of Israel. And we want to imitate him. As Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So my question to you is, are we set apart from the world that we live in? Not necessarily the world in an abstract sense, but in our world that we live in, when we're at work, in certain family environments. Are we set apart? Does your family members who are not saved know you are set apart for God's good purpose? You are in, but not of. Or do you blend in like a chameleon? The world lies. It deceives. It manipulates us. We can just we can watch the House of Commons for an hour. David did that too, didn't he? He lied. 
He deceived. He tried to manipulate the chief priest Ahimelech to get what he wanted. Do we do the same? I know I do at times. Peter 1.15 says, As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. You see, David wasn't being holy in all of his conduct, so his relationship began to become strained with the Lord. He became further and further away because he was practicing self-gratification and not God's gratification. Are our hearts hard to the call of Jesus into deeper relationship with him? He's calling you each day, each moment. Come, let's pray. Come, read the word. Come, get to know me. Come, meditate. Come, fast. Come, 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 come deeper into me. But our heart's hard towards it. I've had many times in my Christian faith where I've felt this hardness. I'd rather do something else. I'd rather talk to that person. I'd rather whine to my friend about what's going on in my life rather than pray. I'd rather get angry in a car with these drivers around me that frustrate my life. Instead of saying, Lord, thank you for what you've blessed me with. My heart becomes hard. I resist him. Jesus is holy before God. He provides true sustenance. David was looking to lie, to steal bread. He could just go to the bread of life. But because his heart was hard, it manipulated his view. And he began to say, I've got to do this for myself. He was falling further and further away from God. But Jesus is always present in our lives because he declared in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. We don't need to steal bread. We just go to the bread of life and he will give you the sustenance that you need. David was out for himself, forgetting about the God who had saved him so many times. So he declined and declined away from, from the Father. And, and, and it's beautiful to, to look at when you really deep it. It's a very small sin in the world that we live in. We look at it, lying is it's permissible, it's okay, it's allowable. But look what it done to David and look what he started. There's a part of the story that we're not going to read. The priest, all of the priests and all of the people that lived in that, in that area of Nob got brutally murdered by a man called Doeg Eid or the Edomite. He absolutely destroyed all of them because of David's lie. What a lie, uh, Spurgeon said this, uh, what a tangled web we weave when once we begin to lie. We get caught in our own web of lies when we start that first lie. Let's be people of truth, that our conduct be holy before God. So we're going to move on to the next part of David's journey in this portion of scripture I've been given. In 1 Samuel 21, verses 6 to 9. So the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which was removed from before the Lord, to be replaced by hot bread on the day it was taken away, fresh bread. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. His name was Doeg, the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdmen. Then David said to Ahimelech, then have you not here a spear or a sword at hand? For I've brought, I've brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me because the king's business required haste. He's continuing to lie. And the priest said, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you struck down in the valley of Elah. Behold, it is here wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it. 
for there is none but that here. And David said, there is none like that. Give it to me. Now, imagine this. When Ahimelech, I remember he's trembling. He's afraid of David because David was a man of, of war. He was trembling. And then Ahimelech says to him, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you struck down in the valley of Elah. Behold, look and see. David is low on confidence, wasn't he? He's running away from someone who's trying to murder him. He was hungry. He was weak in faith. He must have perked up at that moment. Yeah, who I struck down. I remember that. The five smooth stones and I lodged it into his forehead. He fell down like a log tree and I cut his head off with his own sword. That's what I did. He must have perked up in this moment. This is exactly what I was looking for. This ego boost. What should have been a huge reminder of God's salvation, it highlighted David's lack of faith and his sin. Do we substitute the present providence of God for former glories? God did, but I'm not sure he's going to do it now. What a great miracle way back then. But I've got so much more to lose now. I have a family, I have, I have kids, I have a, a, a very stable job. I, do I believe he can do it now? God helps those who help themselves. I've got to figure it out on my own. It's good to remember these things. They help bolster your faith in God. But at times, these very past victories can become idols in our minds. We forget it's the God who did it, which his name is Jehovah. We forget he did it. We start to think of the miracle and breakthrough of us getting through a hardship. Remembrance of past victory shouldn't point you to idols. It should point you to God. David saw the sword. He was like, yeah, I did this. This past victory, this moment where they were singing my name and I was dancing in the streets. The sword shows David is in self-sufficiency mode a very dangerous mode for Christians to fall into. I can do it on my own. And it attacks these areas and principles of the faith, these Christian disciplines. Why do I need to read the Bible and figure out how to live life when I can do it on my own? Why do I need to spend time in prayer and ask God for wisdom for my day when I can do it on my own? Self-sufficiency mode. It's very dangerous. It's very deceptive. And David is now being fully deceived by his own past victory, which was God's salvation. Look what he says there. There is none like that at the bottom. Give it to me. Does this sound like the man who's after God's own heart? The man we've so known over childhood stories, who wrote a good huge portion of the Psalms, who was in love with the Lord? Does it sound like there is none like that? Give it to me? An item, an object? Something's clearly wrong with David here. David would say, there is none like God. Give him to me. When we read the Psalms and we, we read the beauty in those pages, we don't hear him speak like that. Something is clearly wrong in David's life. He puts his trust in past victories and makes those past victories an idol. We must be very careful to keep our eyes on an active relationship with Jesus, not past moments and miracles. In Ezekiel, it speaks about a river that makes glad the city of the Lord. And it says, wherever this river goes, it brings life. Rivers are fresh water. 
And as a part of the Ezekiel scripture, it speaks about ponds. They're cut off from fresh water. They become stale, algae. They become, they smell. Our, Our relationship with the Lord shouldn't be a pond. It should be a river connected to the Holy Spirit. And it flows out and it brings life wherever it goes. Mark was up here speaking about the light. He is a light that we reflect. Fresh light. Not this dim, dull bulb that is not connected to anything. No, we are connected to Jesus. There is none like that, give it to me. No, there is none like God, give him to me. Think about the manna for Israel. When they were in the desert, they had to go out, they had to travel out, I think it was about a mile and a half out from the camp, to collect fresh manna every single day. And some, I think I've been one of those as well, decided to say, well, what's the point in going out every day? Let's collect some and keep it instead of traveling each time. Worms and disgusting, horrible creatures started to form out of the actual manner itself. And they became sick because God's instruction was go out each day to collect the manner and bring it back. And that was a view of relationship with God. It was fresh. It was constant. They had to trust God that when they traveled out, the manna will be there. And the same thing with us today. We all have that relationship with the Lord that we can engage with each day, each moment, each time. Don't hide away from the secret place. Don't hide away from relationship with God. Go to him. Adam ran, didn't he? He didn't go to God. He ran in the thicket. Oh, we've seen the... No, through Christ, we can come boldly to the throne. David should have come boldly to the throne, and he slips. It's a sad, sad part of the story for me because David is a hero in my eyes. David done so many good things. As a child, I heard about David and Goliath and all the other things he'd done. This is a really sad part of relationship, a personal relationship. It became sour. You're going to move on to 1 Samuel 21, 10 to 13. And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Ashes, the king of Gath. And the servants of Ashes said to him, Is not this David, the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul struck his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Ashes, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane. Their hands, um, sorry, um, insane in their hands, and marked the doors of the gate and let his spit run down his beard. Gath was the home of the deceased Goliath, um, um, giant Goliath, Goliath of Gath. So David is going to the area where he killed their champion. Why? What is motivating David to do this? This doesn't sound like God is calling David to do this. He hasn't inquired of the chief priest to say, what is the Lord saying to me? He hasn't inquired of the Lord. He's running on his own instincts. He's running on self-desire. Perhaps receiving Goliath's sword reinforced this decision. I mean, that sword must have been huge. For something that's like, what, nine foot? That sword must have been massive. He thought, yeah, let me go to Gath. Maybe I can reclaim my former glory. If I go to the Philistines... Maybe I'll have respect and honor. I don't have that back in Israel. I had a great victory over Goliath. Maybe it will happen again. That's not what happened. He substituted holy living towards God for other things. You know, like us sometimes. Our dependency on money 
to provide apart from our whole trust in God. We're not children. We understand that we need money to make trade. But do we start to depend on the actual money we have rather than God who gives us the ability to acquire wealth? I have less time for God because of this new promotion I have. Lord, you've given me this promotion and I need to impress. I need to make sure that I'm valuable in what I'm doing. And I haven't got enough time to pray this morning. I need to rush off to work. And, I, you know, Lord, I, I don't want to let them blaspheme your name. And we, we, we start to change things. I'll use my past influence to sin, like David, through lies and deceit. Whether that's in the church, in a leadership position, whether that's in work, whether that's in family. We use our past influence. Remember me, what I've done, even though you know you're wrong in what you're doing. I have done this, so you must listen to me because I've done that. We're lying and we're deceiving. I'm all about my goals and dreams. I've got somewhere to go. I've got something to be. I can see myself in five years, I'm doing this. So God, I can't really be too diligent for you right now in the life of the church or the life of others and loving others because I'm trying to get there. We substitute holy living. We substitute godly conduct for other things. When we substitute a relationship with God through holy living, our hearts naturally harden towards him. I don't want to do the things you want me to do. I want to do the things I want to do. It's a war between self and God. This is what David is going through. It's a clash. I want to do this. I want to reclaim my honor back, not realizing his honor is in God. Again, an example of Israel again. God came down on the mountain, the mountains on smoke and fire and, and all that. And God says, Israel, come up. And he's like, nope, we're scared. We don't want to go up there. So Moses went up the mountain. Joshua went up halfway. And that's a picture of relationship. Because what happened? Israel created an idol and they rose up to play at the bottom of the mountain. They were far from the Lord. Their hearts became hard and they began to serve other idols. When we sacrifice the relationship with God for other things, naturally our hearts will become hard towards him. But as we seek to follow God's will each day, we can increasingly become more like Christ. His will, his commandments, his way. So I'll say climb the mountain again, friends. Climb the mountain of faith in Jesus. Don't leave the secret place alone. Don't have that dusty Bible. Open it and engage with Jesus again because he wants to engage with you. That's what David needs to hear. But God wasn't finished with David. God needed to show David that he is God. So David began to believe his part. He was to attribute for his past victories. Let's look here. It says, and David took these words to heart and was much afraid of the king of ashes. He lost sight of God's great hand to save him from the bear and the lion. Remember, he made that comment in the field. He was like, God save me from the bear and the lion. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? delivering Goliath into his hand when everybody else was scared. Remember Saul's armor? I can't put that on. Give me five smooth stones and let me take rid of, get rid of this guy. Why? Because I don't know God whom I believe in. He escaped Saul without a weapon. He just had a harp in his hand. He got away. Saul was at advantage, but God was with him. And when we are driven by self-sufficiency and fear, we will always lose. We must trust in God because it's only God who keeps us. Don't substitute God for anything. He is more than enough. But praise God, he doesn't leave us in our destitute place. He doesn't leave us in the desert. Mm -mm. He comes through and restores us. He comes through and makes new what the devil fought for evil, God would bring for good. And he does bring it for good. Because God loves us. He's a loving father. He loves us. 
Let's read this part of scripture, 1 Samuel 22, verses 1 to 5. David departed from there, that's from Gath, and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. And David went from there to Mizpeh of Moab. And he said to the king of Moab, please let my father and my mother stay with you till I know what God will do for me. And he left them with the king of Moab and they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. And the prophet Gad said to David, do not remain in the stronghold, depart and go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. Now I highlighted this point for a reason, because this is the first time we've seen David respond in such a way, till I know what God will do for me. So what changed? What happened to David for now he's talking, what God will do for me? Now I'm inquiring of the Lord, what will you do for me? There's a beautiful part here that me and Mark were speaking about yesterday. Because then everyone who is in distress and everyone who is in debt and everyone who is bitter in soul gathered to him. Remember at the beginning we spoke about David is a shadow of Jesus. Isn't that not us? Aren't we in debt to the Lord for our sins? And he has come and saved us. And we gather to him. That's the picture of the church there. We, misfits, gather to God and he pours out his spirit and he purifies us. And he gives us the power and the strength to live holy lives. We're not left on our own. He doesn't save and say, right now, figure it out on your own. He's like, no, I'll give you my spirit so that you win each and every moment of the day. I am with you. I am for you. I'm on your side. You are more than conquerors. Great overcomers through Jesus Christ. But back to the point of David. We actually see here that his language has changed. Though we are broken in Jesus, David was broken in Jesus, he was about to make David whole again. So instead of running to God, David ran to the first chief priest and began lying. Holiness, conduct began to slip. Then the enemy of his people, the Philistines. And then he ended up in a cave, a place of destitution and nothing. But God had met him. Till I know what God will do for me. I want you right now, at the moment, we're going to hand out these flyers. We've got these flyers. And in these flyers, we've got, it's called Psalms 34. And Psalms 34 is what happened between Gath, when he was in the stronghold, and the cave. And Psalms 34 is a beautiful psalm. And I read it instantly. It was a mind change for me. Because this is not just, again, we don't preach this out to yourselves. It's, it's, it goes within as well. It, it deals with us as well. The ones who are the, who sharing the word. And it made me think, Lord, I can go deeper. I can come closer. I can draw near. Lord, there's points when holiness is slipping. My conduct is off. I need to get it right again with you, Lord. I need to come back to you again, Lord. I need to come back to the simplicity of Jesus. But Psalms 34 is where we're going to land we understand David's challenges at the beginning with lying, conduct. He slipped. There's an issue going on and David didn't deal with it. And we move on to him replacing the glory of God for the glory of man, of his self, former glory. 
Then he began to replace the fear of God for the fear of man. But this is where the rescue comes from. So we're going to read this. You can read it out loud. You can read it in your minds. But I really want you, as you're going through this, to really think what God is saying to you. This is personal. It's your personal relationship with the Lord. It's not about me telling you this, that. It's, it's you to go, Lord, what is making my heart hard? Why am I so far away from you? Why do I feel like I'm drifting? Why don't I feel as passionate as I once did? And I believe in this psalm here, there's a lot of freedom that can be found. Psalms 34, 1 to 22. Of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, not Ahimelech, Abimelech, so that he drove him out and he went away. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate righteous, the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Amen to that. The word of God is life. You know, it's alive. Our freedom comes from the truth in which the Lord speaks to us. And welcome the band up at this moment as well, please, to come up. And I really want you to use this. It's a sword. It's a weapon for us to stand in the world that we live in. Jesus came to transform us and save us. He came to transform and save us unto salvation. We are saved. But what we saved for, relationship with God, to honor and worship and please him. So again, this is not a, oh, that's not for me. For those who have given their life to the Lord, 
It's a question for all of us. Even if you feel, ah, oh, I feel like I've been going walking well with the Lord. Can you go deeper? The Father is calling us deeper. He's calling us further up that mountain. He's calling David deeper into him. And us too, we must answer that question of ourselves. Can I go deeper with Jesus? David rediscovers relationship with God. Will you? God with us, Emmanuel, makes all the difference. And you today, you today, let us repent of our sins. And you know what it is. It's not for, my, for me to call it out. It's for you. You know what has been holding you back from the Lord. Maybe it's pride or maybe it's ego, maybe it's lust, whatever it is. To repent of those, let go of it. Mistrust, self-sufficiency. These things stop us from living holy lives before God. My friends, there is no substitute for the Holy Spirit. He makes all the difference in our lives to give us the strength to live holy lives and to keep that connection alive. He is the river that keeps the connection alive between God and man. Those who are saved by Christ Jesus. Now, will you cry out for his infilling today? Will you leave today and return to monotony of life, the same old, feeling so far away from the God of love? If you're the God of love, why do I feel so? Or will you go in? Will you step further into him and say, Lord, more of you. I want more of you, more of you. I will not leave this place until you give me more of you. I know I'm not satisfied. I've been challenged all week with this piece of scripture. I want more of Jesus. You know, the tragedies and difficulties in the world that we see out there within our own homes. He holds it all together. I want more of that. I want more of your hand in your safety and your protection and your power. Psalms 34. As we listen to this instrumental, use that psalm to pray, to open our mouths and pray, saying, Father, in this place, in this area, help me to come closer to you. This sin is a blockade. Get rid of it. Jesus has got rid of it. Don't coexist with it. Get rid of it and draw closer unto the Lord. Psalms 34.4 says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. David was a fearful man. Verse 6, the poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. I'm in trouble. I am. I'm in a lot of trouble, <laughs> you know. But he saved me and he's saving me because Jesus is the king on the throne and he has all the power, he's unrivaled. So take hope today. Draw unto the Lord and he will draw unto you. Approach the throne of grace and he'll be there to meet you. Amen.